0: And welcome to this week's episode of Zack on Film. I am, of course, the Zack on the film. Across from me is Stephen of the Schleicher, Wolverines, and all the way across the internet is Matthew of Peterson.
1: John has a long mustache.
0: Today, we are obviously going to be talking about Katy Perry's Swish Swish and Taylor Swift's Look What You Made Me Do videos. They're uh, both just a hot mess. Let's get into it. Are they really? Uh, but, Katy Perry's yeah. video is insane. Taylor, Taylor like Swift's insane, is actually Like, insane ba- ba- bad? Oh, no, 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 no. I know the weird. guy, I follow the guy who
2: directs uh, the Taylor Swift video. Yeah, Joseph Kahn. Yeah, yeah and he's
0: really, really good. Yeah, this, 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 her video's actually pretty good. Okay, so yeah. I
2: don't know why everyone's, like, saying that all the stuff is is pretty poo-poo, because well, I've watched because Katy Perry's a, last Friday night track. video, and that one's not
0: really great. Oh, Swish Wish is insane. Okay. Katy Perry's, I mean, not Katy Perry's, uh, Taylor Swift's got a lot of heat. Before it came out, because yeah, one screen cap, her. no one screen cap came out of it, and it looked like a uh, borrowing slash rip off of Beyonce's Lemonade. Oh, okay. Uh, it's not that, but uh, it is very it, the interesting about Taylor Swift is that she's very self aware.
2: I think she is. Yeah, I, think she's, I think she has to be really savvy.
0: In, in this in this music video, it's literally all of her personas from every music video addressing her current self. I can see that. I think it's I'm interesting.
1: That's Crisis on Infinite Tailors.
0: Yeah. So interesting. I'm not a huge fan of the song right now. And just for the record to be known, I'm a huge fan of her previous album. It is very good. Uh, 1989
1: was an incredible album. Yeah, it was I really good. Uh, and so, I'm way too old to love it. <laughs> I'm looking
0: forward to the rest of it. The, the phone call portion of her new uh, song is really cringy. No, because Taylor uh, can't come to come the phone, phone right now. because yeah. she's, she's dead. That is a little cringy. Uh, somebody, Joseph, Joseph Kahn does good videos.
1: Is yeah, he that, does. Uh, there's a scene of her in a bathtub covered in diamonds that people are claiming is a diss at Kim Kardashian oh, getting robbed in Yeah. France.
0: It's definitely there's the car wreck is definitely like an homage to Kanye getting in his car wreck in Chicago so many years ago. Uh, there's a couple of Katy Perry things in there. Uh there's a lot there's a lot packed in to uh that one tiny video. But let's not talk about that actually today. Let's talk about Russians and the Cubans and how they invaded America in the eighties. Let's go
2: back. To 1983, Zach. Okay. Maybe a little bit further. Back in the 80s, of course, with Reagan in charge and uh, the crazy things that are going on in the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. Uh, Soviet Union's invading Afghanistan and the war going on there. And, you know, the Afghans used to be our our allies. The Taliban used to be our allies. All these good things. I mean, watch that James Bond movie where the Taliban is working with the the, uh, Secret Service Mm -hmm. to do all that stuff. Um, and, but things are really tense. I mean, we've talked about this before that, uh, for the generation of the eighties. Now, certainly the seventies were a little bit more laid back, but like my mom and dad's generation, the ducking covers in the fifties and sixties, cause there's going to be nuclear annihilation and then things mm. kind of mellow out a little bit. Yeah. I think it's all the LSD and marijuana people were doing. It helps. But then in the eighties, just man, the cold war just comes rushing <laughs> back in again. It, it seems like, rushing and there wasn't a day That went by that uh, people like Matthew and I, kids of the 80s, weren't sitting there just waiting for the bomb to drop. I mean, like scary stuff going on all the time. And if you look at the movies that were coming out around this time, there was nothing but doom and gloom and death from above Mm -hmm. type stuff uh, going on. 1983, there's a movie that freaks out the entire United States. It's called The Day After. And it is a movie where... Literally, they just decide to send the nukes a flying, yeah. and like uh, the world is getting destroyed. And if you lived in, in the Kansas area, in uh, Kansas City, Lawrence, Topeka area, uh, you got to see your towns destroyed in hellfire. Oh, sweet. And so, you know, people are super, super tense. Yeah. And so, when a year later, you have this movie that supposedly started out as an anti war movie, suddenly becomes <laughs> a uh, teenagers uh, meet Rambo, then you have this, this thing where hey, what happens if the Russians decide that they do want to attack and they've got Cuba and Nicaragua on their side and they just decide to come right up the middle where there's nobody guarding nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you listen in that, in the red dawn, when um, powers booths character comes out, he's like, Oh yeah, they d- dropped nukes in Omaha, Kansas city, uh, somewhere in Texas. It's like, yeah, they dropped nukes and then they invaded. Mm-hmm uh and yet there are kids sitting at school that had no idea that the nukes <laughs> had had dropped mm-hmm. and they're in Colorado. And so I remember watching this movie and just being terrorized by this thought of what happens if the para- if you start seeing people parachuting out of the sky is this supposed to be like some military exercise or have they invaded? Mm-hmm. And I remember like everyone in my high school not everyone but most of the people in the high school my friends at least. We'd sit around and go, so what happens if we see someone invading? What do we do? And, you know, the part of this, uh, the hype behind the the day after, or not the day after, but uh, Red Dawn, is that here are these kids that become commandos, that become elite guerrilla forces. And there are people that this certainly appeals to. And there were a lot Mm -hmm. of people in my high school that this certainly appealed to because... Everyone has a gun for hunting. Everyone has stuff for fishing. You have the means and the abilities to survive on your own if you need to. Mm. And so there was literally this thing. Okay, we're going to go get our guns. We're going to go do this. We're going to go. And it was literally based on watching this movie. So it was super freaky to see this.
0: Yeah. Red Dawn, especially in the first 20 minutes, seems like they took out the prepper hand guide and just like went through the first 15 steps. And like, here is our first 15 pages of our movie. You must get water. Actually, apparently they don't get water. You guys, to get food, all right, the guns, right, right. Can stuff. Right. And then you head to the mountains. It's I like, can't prepper, believe
2: prepper w- guide. watching this again. It was like, <laughs> Oh yeah. My emergency preparedness is kind of that is to find that store with the sleeping bag and just oh, yeah. fill it up with, with stuff and throw it in the back of a car and drive the heck out of there. I, I like, I, you laugh, Matthew, but you're gonna you're gonna be uh, the person that you're gonna be the the school teacher that walks out and goes, "Now, boys, maybe we can have a little uh, misunderstanding here," and you'll be the first one down.
1: It okay, is. Okay, this is not a documentary, Stephen.
2: Doesn't matter.
1: It's never been a documentary. I didn't say it was and because Patrick Swayze did it. Is not an argument for why one should do something because Patrick mm-hmm. Swayze was ghost. Yeah, and look what he did.
2: He turned a pot. He fought demons and threw a pot with his <laughs> hot wife, and went to heaven at the end. Win win. Yeah, and he got to dance with Jennifer Grey in Dirty Dancing, and so we get a little crossover yeah. from last week's uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? Yes. Because this movie not only has Jennifer Grey in it, it's with also her original nose with her original nose. It's also got uh, uh, what's Charlie his face Sheen. Charlie Sheen. Sheen in it, yeah. who you almost barely don't recognize. Because number one, you barely see him in the movie. And number barely two, there. he doesn't have that uh, I'm high on drugs look
1: <laughs> that would
2: uh, follow him around for the rest of his days. But this was a movie that I think only added fuel to the fire of the terror of the 80s. Even though it's not a great movie, it added to that sense of, uh, of uh, unease and not feeling great about what was going on around us.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see that understand. especially have like the f- targeting and affecting high school students more mm-hmm. it's like your parents are going to be captured by the Russians yeah. they will be thrown into concentration camp they will probably <laughs> be murdered before your eyes <laughs> right. you will have to right. survive in the right. mountains right. this is right. what is coming for us Right, yeah just that if you boil
2: it down to that and not what Matthew thinks is oh you're going to go and do these exact same things no it's, it's this fear <sighs> that you are going, that people are going to invade and kill you
1: Matthew doesn't think anything of the sort. Matthew once again says that it is fiction. And I also lived with those idiots and their trucks who honestly believe that this is a documentary and that this is how they're going to survive the apocalypse. And it's not going to happen, Mike.
0: (laughs) I mean, it is a conversation we still have. Yeah. We don't necessarily talk about people invading. It was just like, what happens if? I don't know, massive disease, zombies, you know, other believable uh, things that could happen to America. It's sure. like, well, where are we going to go?
2: Yeah. I mean, what How are we going to do? How get are going to survive? You, you no what, and, and more importantly, what are you willing to do to survive, mm. right? Are you willing to kill somebody else to survive? Uh, and what what's interesting about this film, because there's not really a whole lot interesting about this. No. What's interesting about this is watching the um, <laughs> C. Thomas Howell character go from someone who's really kind of timid and not really sure about what all this is to the point where at the end of the movie, he's like die hard, kill them all. I'm going to just blow everything away. I don't care. And you really see how, and I think it's, I think it's kind of true in a lot of the, um, John Milius, uh, uh, movies is this idea of war is hell. And there's nothing really glamorous about this. I mean, even though MGM, when they, when this, uh, idea was pitched to them, uh, they were like, Oh no, we're not going to turn this into, you know, like a Lord of the flies movie. We're going to turn this into, uh, teen Rambo's and at the end, uh, Emilius, uh, would go on later in life to say that he really was trying to show the futileness of it all. Because if you look on both sides, he's trying to create some sympathy in the, um, the Cuban, I think he was the general? Cuban yeah, general, general yeah. and yeah. the, in the kids about, you know, what are we doing? This is just craziness. And he said that he would hoped that when this movie came out that both sides would have seen it and looked at it as a reflection of, "Is this really what we want to do?
0: <laughs> yeah, but the problem is when you show a film like this to Americans, we just want more of it, and actually so this is considered <laughs> This
2: is considered one of the big right- wing conservative films:
0: Oh, because it that yeah. it, it
2: appeals to uh that demographic.
0: Yeah, this isn't because Melius did. Uh, the other film
2: he did uh, well, he did the uh, first two Dirty Harry movies, so he yeah, also yeah. did Conan.
0: But didn't he write a uh, crazy 70s war movie in Vietnam? He did Apocalypse, now, Apocalypse now, yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. So that film definitely felt like the the craziness of war and not good. The utility of mm-hmm. it yeah, at all, futility yeah. The of yeah. it all. This, uh, never got there for me. No, you know, this is very much like rah, rah, rah. Just- Get a this is a end. movie
1: that is literally about a bunch of cool kids having adventures. And that, I think, is one of the reasons why when people are like, this is, you know, oh, well, this is an anti-war movie. Yes, but it's I mean, it's less an anti-war movie and it's less a statement than it is a bunch of cool kids having adventures. Well, so it
2: depends on which side of the fence you're you're looking at this. Some people look at this as an anti-war film. Some, some people see this as a. Uh, like I said, the pro-survivalist, uh, pro-conservative, pro survivalist, pro conservative, pro let it happen and let uh, you know God sort it out kind what? of stuff.
0: What do people that think this is an anti-war movie read into it? And specifically, so if what this is scenes- an anti-war
2: movie. Is you know you look at the characters, like I said, see Thomas Howell character, how he basically flips out uh, and becomes you know just a killer uh, at the end. Uh, that, you know, look at what this does to communities, look Mm -hmm. at what this does to families. Um, do we really want, do we really want to have a situation where 400 million Chinese are killed Mm -hmm. and we are the only country left standing? How about instead of everybody fighting in this threat of nuclear war, how about we just talk about it and see if we can work out our differences as opposed to just killing each other? Because there's no glory in that.
0: Okay. I get where that would be coming from, but I think you have to exclude a lot. This movie also throws into you uh, to get to that place because I don't think so. I think it's
2: pretty in your face in the in what they're in what they're depicting.
0: Um, I'm gonna push back on that, and I don't think. Well, you could definitely the ki- the kid drinks the blood right, and it yeah. becomes like he murders his friend right, right. and. Uh, the the my biggest critique of this film and why I don't think that reading of Red Dawn holds up to real scrutiny is specifically emotional things happen and they skip past them. They do not yeah, linger so the on the actual thing, emotional impact. So that's anything. that's
2: probably the biggest. Well, maybe not the biggest, but one of the biggest parts of this movie is there's so much taken out uh, of something that takes place over the course of a of a year. Um, of what happens, um, uh, the, uh, Powers Booth, uh, character mm-hmm. who, gosh, when I saw him, all I can keep thinking of is, uh, what's his name from, uh, Entourage, the guy who plays, um,
0: yeah, I thought that kid looked like the Sam from Lord of the Rings too. And it oh, wasn't,
2: yeah, no, no, but, uh, yeah, he looks like Ari Gold is Powers the, the Booth, young Powers dude, Booth yeah, looks yeah. like, uh, Ari Gold, but. His character in the movie was a lot of his stuff was really edited out to where his character was really changed because he was supposed to be the voice of reason in the entire movie where he had a lot of, even though he was in the Air Force, he had a lot of anti-war statements and things that were said that they ended up throwing on the cutting room floor. Uh, Also, there was this whole relationship between him and um, Back to the Future That Mm -hmm. was cut out because the studios are like, "Ah, isn't there quite a big uh, age difference between those two to be carrying on? And so that was cut out. Yeah, that was cut out completely as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of anti-war stuff that may not have made it into the film. But originally, that is what the intent was. And certainly, Melias, when he was putting this together, had hoped that it would send the message
0: that this is what we do not want. Mm. Yeah, man, it's just I like stuff, I don't I don't I don't disagree with that Melius that was his goal in this and then also what really solidifies the the what I watched is not specifically an anti-war film is when they give a monument to all the kids who murdered all the people yeah. <laughs> at the end and it's like an American flag and it's Oh well, like, no hey, that's, we, that's where it becomes good. a very
2: pro pro America like I said uh, yeah. this is as I said this is a very conservative film yeah. uh, in that appeal base because it's you do have to fight the evil and you do have to do all this stuff and yes it is it is yeah i'm not a disagreeing with you no
0: yeah know i'm not disagreeing yeah i'm just saying i'm like, just saying that, that reading i don't
2: there is it, a reading of this that is yeah. anti-war yeah and there is a very conservative bent in this film
0: yeah and no. you can have both yeah you can have and both. that is what think, makes this that's why this film is very strong
2: that is what makes this film so conflicting and ultimately not a very good movie I don't think.
0: No, I don't think this movie was good by any stretch of the it, it, Like, I think this movie suffered from trying to throw explosions in at the sake of, <laughs> of uh, not really doing like good cinematography and uh, dialogue and stuff like that. Like, How many explosions which is, and bullets which is can you shoot
2: weird Because you know, he's a relatively good director, Yeah, a good writer. Uh, and for this movie to just kind of come out the way it did, I don't know. I don't know what your your thoughts of this movie are, Matthew, besides it's not a documentary.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I That's the thing. I remember it fondly, but I remember a lot of movies fondly that just aren't particularly good. And I think the big thing about Red Dawn for me is you kind of have to separate it, at least I, in order to enjoy it, have to separate it from a a hawk and or dove stance. I mean – I can't look at it and say, this is a movie saying we need to be ready.
2: See? The Russians got him. The Russians got him again.
0: Can't talk negative about him.
2: Cannot talk talk negative about Red Dawn.
1: None of those is actually in the movie in its entirety. (laughs) It just veers back and forth. You kind of have to look at this as the movie that Patrick Swayze made in between other Patrick Swayze movies. And on that level... I really enjoy it because it's not specifically what you'd call a Brat Pack film, but it has some of those characters in it. And some of these actors, we know what they look like at every single age because they did this movie when they're 23 and this movie when they're 22 and this movie when they're 21. So I liked it. I remember liking it. You know, I've I've actually peed in a radiator because of this movie (laughs) to keep the car from overheating and it worked. Did it
0: smell? Yes, it does um, smell. It had to smell, right? That's the first thing I thought of.
1: Yeah, no, it smells. Yeah, it's hot urine. Hot yeah. urine smells like hot urine. You don't, you don't <laughs> want any more of that. But also, I don't know. I mean, I can't look at this and say that it's a statement for or against war, because it's really not successful in either. It doesn't finish cohesively a sentence in either direction.
2: But again... So, one of, the, one of the big things... Jennifer
1: Grey's nose is good.
2: One of, the, one of the biggest problems with this film is that there are too many characters. There's a lot. And uh, you, they get lost very quickly. Yeah. You've got two girls and you've got a bunch of guys who are wearing hoodies. The same thing. And... Like and, ten guys. Yeah, and you can't <laughs> tell them all apart. Uh, except for Patrick Swayze, who has the most speaking lines in this movie. This movie suffers the most from uh, the inability to do any real character development. Yes. And ultimately... The audience has to care about the characters on the page so that when, I don't know, Jennifer Grey dies, it's not really, you don't really care that much about that she's dead or that when C. Thomas Howell uh, is shooting at the helicopters and he gets blown up, you don't really care because it's like, oh, Jennifer Grey, we hardly knew ye. Mm -hmm. We'll see you again next time in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You don't, you don't have any kind of connection, emotional connection to any of these characters to their parents, to their situation. You don't even have emotional connections to uh, the bad guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, the who's the um, – not the Cuban guy and not the uh, the Russian that was wearing his little uh, pill hat the entire time. The fox. Yeah, the fox. Yeah. He was like – when I remember seeing this as a kid, I was like, this is the baddest of the bad guys that are ever. And I'm watching this now going, this guy's hardly in the movie and he's made out to be the big bad. I mean, there is nothing in this movie that really attracts you except for the notion that what if – The United States was invaded Mm -hmm. by by Russians and by Cubans and Nicaraguans all teaming up and the world has gone to hell. And this is World War Three. And how do people survive? The premise is enough, I think, to hook you. But the character development is not there at all. They don't do anything. I mean, this is really a lot of just uh, military strikes that these kids pull off and that's it. Yeah. So if you're looking for something that has a lot of guns and explosions and. And uh, what have you in the eighties? Then this is the film for it. But for character development, it does not have well, anything.
0: The problem with them not having any character development is that they, an emotion, is that they wrote into the script none of these characters could have emotion. Because their father says, Don't cry, don't you ever cry right, again. Right, right, right. And it is a line and, and a sentiment that and is. And then repeated. he screams, Avenge me. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Avenge me. And it's like and then Patrick Swayze repeats to the kids, Don't cry, don't mm-hmm. ever cry again. Yeah. You can't have emotion. Why would you develop as a character and feel that the fact is that uh your family is dead, well, you're probably gonna die and everyone So if you're looking at it you if you're looking
2: at die. it from this idea of what do grown ups do, right? Grown ups don't cry. Vo- grownups grown ups don't show emotion, at least in the eighties they the
0: did. Yeah. yeah.
2: And so to make this transition from your first kill, you're a man now, men don't cry, you gotta stop showing those feelings mm-hmm. and emotions. That kind of flows through those messages. Is that and I think you don't show emotions to be a right. grown up.
1: You could make the argument that the lack of character development could be seen as commentary on the dehumanization. Of war on people, because we do see a little bit of them being all, hey, look, we're kids. Oh, my dad's Mm -hmm. dead. Oh, no. Now I'm going to saw off a shotgun and start killing some people. You could. And I have, in fact, heard the case made that that transition, that lack of character development during the combat sequences and the, you know, everything that's happening during the occupation is a statement that war is hell and ruins everybody and, and takes everything away. I don't think it's entirely defensible, but I have seen that read on this movie and you can definitely make that case. I wouldn't, but it's out there. Devil's advocating. I, I think
0: that's what this movie suffers. So like you said, Matthew it doesn't go oh either way in making its statement is that you could read an anti-war. You could read these kids are stunted emotionally because of what they've gone through but they'd never right. give any time to any aspect besides and, more guns and bullets. Well, and then at the end, it's just like everybody dies except for the
2: coward kid and uh, back to the future. Yeah. And they somehow st- stumble me. and then they st- somehow stumble out into the New Mexico desert. Uh, and then you get a voiceover. that says, eventually the war ended. That's <laughs> like, come on, because why? it's just
1: because a dumb the movie. It's not about the war. It's about the kids. It's just, it's a, a dumb bunch movie. of kids having cool adventures and so you know it's this, it's ferris bueller's uh day in this was camp.
2: this was the 20th most financially successful film of 1984 okay so okay. that's eh, it's not a, you know they weren't putting out as many movies as they do uh today but mm-hmm. so that's a still kind of a, yeah. a big deal to rank up there in the top 20 for the year uh it was um it it you know, it it had something to say at the time, and there were a lot of people who gravitated to it at the time. Uh, today, uh, you know, it, it had came out with mixed reviews. Right now, it's got a fifty fifty on the Rotten Tomatoes. Um, they tried to remake Red Dawn a few years ago, and it totally flopped and was a huge disaster. <laughs> they had some
0: big
1: names attached to
0: it. I oh, they did. It, they had it was like Thor and yeah.
1: Thor's little brother, and
0: uh, Peta from yeah, that's all. Game of, not Game of Thrones, uh, Hunger Games was in yeah. it. So, yeah, they
2: really had tried to um, do a lot with that remake and it failed uh, because there was a time when that movie was being made that we were a little bit more hopeful in the world. Uh, Maybe a movie like Red Dawn could be remade today and it might be a little bit more successful. (laughs) Here is the problem. Here is the most when it comes to Red Dawn. Here is its biggest contribution to uh, cinema. Okay, In May of 1984. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was released. and Oh, man, I love that movie. Super excited. I was like the first person in line. I waited for two hours for that movie to open up. Mm -hmm. Got there. My mom dropped me off. I was the first person in line to buy the tickets, go in and sit and watch this. And then it's not my favorite Indiana Jones movie a lot of people like like this a lot more because it's you know dirtier and grittier and it's got this whole scene where this mm. guy reaches into another guy's chest and pulls out his beating heart and holds it above his head off, and you know it's just it's bloody and it's violent and this was not Raiders of the Lost Ark that people had gone and taken their kids to a year a couple of years before where the nazi's faces got <laughs> melted off this yeah. is a little bit more <laughs> disturbing right and so parents started to have an outcry to this one month later one month later, gremlins arrived in theaters. And gremlins, <laughs> these cute little fuzzy things, got a PG rating. Indiana Jones, PG rating. Ah, we'll take our kids to this. This should be really good. And then these cute little fuzzy creatures turn into these horrible nightmares that are killing people left and right throughout the town. Yeah. And it's a horrible mess. And uh, again, parents are freaking out saying, Why is this violence and this <laughs> language in these movies that we were taking our kids to? And there was a big kerfuffle and Steven Spielberg uh, sat down with Jack Valenti, who was the president of the Motion Picture Association. And he said, look, films like Jaws and Raiders of the Lost Ark and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and the Gremlins, they're really falling into this netherworld area because this is a little bit harder than a PG movie, but it's not hard enough to be an R movie And so the two of them sat down and they came up and and Spielberg had said, let's call it either PG-13 or PG-14 and you guys figure out which one is going to work best. And ultimately, the Motion Picture Association uh, settled on PG-13 and said, look, these are movies that are probably suited for kids that are a little bit more mature, 13 and older. And the very first movie to receive a PG-13 rating was...
0: I'm going to guess Red Dawn.
2: Wrong. No. The very first movie to receive a PG-13 rating oh, wait. was The Flamingo Kid. I didn't know that. Unfortunately, yeah. The Flamingo Kid was not that great of a movie. Oh. Sat on the <laughs> shelf, sat on the shelf oh. for six months. Oh. And so the first movie to be released oh. with a PG-13 rating was Red Dawn.
0: Hey.
2: And now you know the rest of the story.
1: That's actually a good story. We talk so, about the Bose wave speaker.
2: So here's the thing. The PG 13 rating, yep. which is perfect for red Dawn. Yeah. Right. Um, it really changed Hollywood. PG 13 rating meant that we can be a little bit harder with our material and we don't have to tone it down to get that PG rating. And we don't have to worry about an R rating because we have this PG 13 rating. Mm. That's perfect for us. And so the film industry really bloomed over the next couple of years because of PG-13. In fact, six of the top highest grossing uh, uh, domestic films of all time have that PG-13 rating on them. So PG-13 has been a big boom for Hollywood because it doesn't have to be Kitty. Doesn't have to be you know losing half of our audience because of the age restriction. PG-13 is that spot that sometimes today when you look at it or maybe it's a little bit too intense and, you know, oh, it should be an R. Yeah. Other times PG-13 is just like, oh, they said poopy butt or something and <laughs> therefore it can be PG. But Indiana Jones and Gremlins led to Red Dawn getting that PG-13 rating and it changed Hollywood forever. So if Red Dawn can be looked at for one thing positive, it is that first movie to be released with that PG-13 rating and thus changing how Hollywood operated from that point forward. Mm. At least in terms right. of the rating systems goes.
1: You're so hard on this movie and it does not deserve this hate facery. It's not that bad a movie. What? It, yeah, is it is not that bad. No, it's not. Oh no,
0: it's,
2: C- it's a bad worse. movie. <laughs> it's Matthew delayed because I went off on a whole thing about the history of the PG 13 rating.
1: And then you came back and said, <laughs> at least, you know, it wasn't attached to a movie that was all true.
2: No, 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 no. What did I, I, th- I don't think minute. you're, I don't think you're listening. I said, Red Dawn getting this PG-13 rating changed Hollywood forever in how it produced movies. I, th- I think you I think he was you referencing said,
0: if it can be remembered for thing
2: only one thing. About this movie. Yes, there's only one good thing <laughs> about this movie. That is not true. And that is the that is fact that it's that it's footnote in history is it's the first uh, movie release with a PG-13 rating.
1: No, wrong.
0: Matthew, I, you're going to have to defend this movie if you think it's good.
1: <laughs> I can defend anything. But here's the thing. You're wrong. And you're a poopy butt. No, I think, I think the thing about Red Dawn that you really have to take into effect, there, there are two factors that I think we're not taking into account. And one we run into a lot of times, especially on our other podcasts when we are reading things from previous decades. In the year 1984, comparatively speaking, where did this movie fall in terms of like big blockbuster madness? Was this a, a total flop? 20th,
2: 20th of the year. Yeah, did, uh, Were you not listening? We said it was the 20th grossing movie of the year.
1: My audio is cutting in and out, dude.
2: Okay. Don't ask I,
1: me if I'm not listening. Okay. So, okay. So, <laughs> for the zeitgeist, for the time, for the era in which it was made, it hit something. It hit some string of something, and whether that string was hope, whether that string was let's watch Patrick Swayze shoot people up, whether there was racism involved, because there are some serious issues in in that era here. By the way, uh, B E L L A in any Spanish dialect would not be pronounced Bella; it would actually be pronounced Bella because the L-L is the AA sound. You're not but helping here. your argument. No, I'm not <laughs> helping my argument, but my argument doesn't have anything to do with semantics. You, but I think that this movie, for the time it was made, struck a chord. And I think in striking that chord, it also did something that I think you you have to take into account. It is one of those movies that people look back on and go, I remember seeing that movie. This is one of those movies that was a thing. This is like, you know, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Not a good movie. But people look back on that and reference it. And say, know. Some say, people oh, say
2: it's the best of the Indiana Jones movies, and I just don't agree with that.
1: Those, those people are wrong. <laughs> just like you're wrong that Red Dawn has only the PG-13 rating going for it. I, think you, missed, you I just, think you missed
2: a whole part of the conversation at the beginning of this episode where I was saying, here's what was going on at the time, and here's why Red Dawn was
1: super impactful and why
2: it yeah, struck I mean, home I I with think, a lot I mean, of people. you got
1: cut out right <laughs> then. Then. Why, yeah. then why did you say? Why did you say that the only thing going for it? See, yeah, I didn't hear that part either. No. My internet is bad tonight. Well, so, I mean, I think a Steven movie can, has made my case for me, so I think we all agree that. This no, movie I said no, really
2: no, that. No, 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 no. I that said that the reason. No, I did not make your case for you. In fact, I said the reason why this movie was so popular at the time was because of what was going on in the world. Doesn't mean it's a good movie, okay? Popularity does not equal good. Just remember that, okay? Popularity does not equal good. All right. Yeah, everything's better with Batman. But I said specifically that the best thing that came out of this this movie was that PG-13 rating system.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's kind of like, oh, what was the super racist movie we watched back in the 1900s? Uh, oh, uh, Re- Reunited uh, the KKK? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. The uh, Birth of a Nation. Birth
0: of a Nation. It's like, when people, I can talk about how Birth of a Nation's an important movie, it was like this huge epic, and they introduced color to film. It's like, sh- it's garbage. Like, I mean, I <laughs> don't even like, recommend people watching it. It's like, it is important to film history. It is yeah. also garbage. Yeah, oh, it's super racist, it's like, and yeah. it promotes
2: racist ideas. Right And so it's like, yeah.
0: this movie was popular because uh, we were all afraid we were all going to die from Russians. The, the technical filmmaking in Red Dawn is not good. It's not good. I' like, and, and fine the acting, with people like acting it. in
2: this movie is not good.
0: Like I'm fine with people not liking good movies and saying, they're like, we all watched it. it, was, it yeah, it, that's fine. It's not a good movie. It's kind of like, I like dancing to Katy Perry. I don't think Katy Perry makes good pop music.
2: You know what I mean? I think Katy Perry makes good pop
0: music. I don't music. actually think she does. She just doesn't
2: make good... I don't know the way to say it. She is she is the best at what she does.
0: Oh, no, she's not. She is the she's best at even, what she no, does. No, She is the best at what she does. No, well, that's... I mean, that's... No. She is the best at what
2: she does. I know. Uh, Taylor Swift is the best at what she does. Uh,
0: okay, everyone's great at what the they do. <laughs> you know who's better um, than Katy Perry? Lady
1: Gaga and uh Sia.
0: Yeah, and they're the best at you what who's they do. Who is
1: Lady Gaga and Sia? Mike Nesmith, but that's not the point. <laughs> I think what the, the argument that Zach is trying to make and uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily discount it. I think what Zach is saying is that a movie can be important and memorable and that's Eli what i said in- that's what i said from the very beginning no you didn't but i also think that if you really break it down the one good thing coming out of this movie is probably the pg-13 <laughs> oh, rating so uh, uh, what are we doing <laughs> what are we doing
2: he doesn't listen doesn't pay attention uh, <laughs> let's wrap this thing
0: up. right don not it's good fun tonight it is uh, a scare tactic film perpetuated. It, it totally is a scare tactic film. Perpetuated yes, by will, shadow will, governments yeah. across the world. I <laughs> know, <but it's> perpetuated
1: <laughs> by shadow governments.
0: It is actually, I believe this is not true, but I'm going to start it. It is Alex Jones' favorite movie.
1: There's actually <sighs> a, a line in Grand Theft Auto 3. <laughs> Uh, where you go to the, the hyper-nationalistic, crazy ammunition, and you can hear them talking about, plus see a free screening of the documentary Red Dawn. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, okay, I'll buy that.
0: So, uh, but it was interesting. I've heard people talk about this before. It got remade in 2012. It was interesting to see so many people on the screen. I was reminded Patrick Swayze died. I didn't actually know or remember that he was dead. Oh, man, if you want to see
2: a really good Patrick Swayze movie. Yeah watch him I think it was his final performance in Donnie Darko.
1: No, that wasn't his final one, but it was that like early two thousand wow. Oh he died
0: in two thousand nine in two thousand nine.
1: Was it Darko, Darko like... was like two thousand one
0: was it that? I can't remember what. I've never seen it so I don't know yeah, what it is.
1: Darko was two thousand one. Yeah Patrick died But if you want to see a
2: good Patrick Swayze movie He's in that? see Donnie Darko. All he right. is he is masterful in okay. in that role.
0: That's exciting. Uh, so this has been quite the episode of Zach on Film, everyone. I hope you head over to Majorspoilers.com and give your thoughts and opinions on everything we've discussed and raved about this episode while you're there. Do uh, do us a solid. Click on that Amazon.com link. Do all of your Amazon shopping. You can buy your favorite war movie, uh, most likely on Blu-ray. It's not going to cost you any extra when you use that link, but a little bit will come back to Major Spoilers. You did
2: say buy... Your favorite movie on Blu-ray, not this movie on Blu-ray.
1: Yeah, your favorite okay. war no, movie on. <laughs> go, go buy this movie; it'll be fine. It'll cost you like a buck ninety-nine because people don't charge a lot for this movie.
0: Um, Steven, why don't you talk about the Patreon
2: really quick before we leave? Sure. If you enjoy this show and everything that we do at Major Spoilers, head over to Patreon.com/slash Major Spoilers. I'll wait while you type it in patreon.com slash major spoilers and you will see that we are raising funds to try to keep everything that we do going. Everything goes right back into major spoilers. And the best part is, depending on your funding level, maybe you thought that this conversation was maybe worth a buck Uh, a couple of weeks ago when it was just Zach and I. Maybe that was worth 10 bucks. Uh, Maybe average it out and and kick in five bucks a month to keep this show and all the other shows going. Not only do you get the satisfaction of keeping this show free and all of our shows free that we do uh, currently, but you get access to bonus content, including bonus podcasts, uh, art t-shirts and a whole lot more it can be found over at patreon.com slash major spoilers
0: thanks for listening everyone we will see you next week on deck on film this podcast is copyright 2017 by major spoilers entertainment llc